kind of a surreal moment because Salt Company planted up in Minneapolis when I was a freshman at the University of Minnesota. That was in the year 2017. And so I want to just quickly remind you or maybe bring to your attention the journey that we've been on for the past six plus years. 2017. Guys, my first Salt Company that I went to was in the Best Buy Theater of Northrop Auditorium. You guys even know where that is? It's like upstairs. It's this tiny little lecture hall thing, uh, a part of Northrop. Then fast forward, we got to transition to a place called Profile Event Center. Some of you know the days of Profile Event Center. Come on. It was this weird, like, club, like, wedding venue. It had a disco ball and shiny mirror poles and uncomfortable chairs. It was very strange. And then from there, we went to the Graduate Hotel. Yeah, we loved the Graduate Hotel. It was awesome. Yes. And then from there, eventually, we made our way to Mercy Vineyard Church, where we've been for like the past year. And now, for the first time, we're here in our own space. Redemption Church, yes, this has been a long time in the, com- in the making, and I'm just thankful, honestly. This has been really sweet to, to look ahead and be excited about making this place home, and honestly, just enjoying it with you. And I just want... Just want you to know that the whole point of this building and the whole point that we're doing Salt Company here is because it's for you. This isn't something that we want you to like sit on the sidelines of and just kind of look at and in, enjoy looking at and, you know, be a, pass, a passerby. This is for you. Like Thursday nights are for you. Campus groups are for you. Even Sunday mornings for you. Our whole church moved up here and planted because we wanted to reach college students. And so we're just north of campus, just off of 35W, accessible. It's for you. So I just want you to know, like, man, let's enjoy this together. Let's do this together. Let's actually get in the game and be a family, you know? Man, I'm excited to make this place home. We're already planning like movie nights and ping pong tournaments. You know what I'm saying? Like this is going to be our home. We're going to enjoy this place. It's for you. But it is also for the person that's not in here yet. I cannot help but be in this place and dream of the people who are not in this room yet that are going to come and hear the good news of Jesus in this auditorium. Who in the next year, five years, ten years, is going to come here and for the first time hear about the grace of God? Can you just dream with me a little bit and see the seats that are empty next to you and think, hey, they're for your friends. They're for your classmates. They're for your roommates, your siblings, the person that you sit next to in econ, The person that's sitting alone in the dining hall, it's for them. So I'm excited to bring more and more people into this place that they would hear the grace of God and that we would just keep reaching and keep going to the campus for more. But for tonight, we're starting a new series that I'm really excited about because here's the thing that we all need. We need... Not to stay far away from God, 
The point was never for it to be him to just be like this concept to be studied or a literary character. He wasn't supposed to be far from us, but actually the story of the Bible over and over and over again talks about God coming close, extremely close. And so we're starting a new series called Dangerously Close. Because actually the best thing that could ever happen to you is to get right up close and personal with God. But what we also see is that when that happens, we don't leave the same. It's going to be the best thing for you and the most transformational thing that could ever happen to you when you get dangerously close to God. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to look at accounts of people who got really, really close had a raw encounter with God, and and a lot of things changed. They saw God for who he really was, and they left a different person. That's what the Bible points us to, and what I am hoping all of us are able to do, is to get near to God. And so tonight, we're actually looking at a guy named Joshua. If you've got a Bible, feel free to open up to the book of Joshua. It's toward the beginning of your Bible. Don't Don't be afraid to use the table of contents in there. It's like one of the first books, real close to the beginning. But we're going to look at a guy named Joshua. And you might be familiar with some of the things that he's done. Maybe you're familiar with the story of Jericho and him marching around the city and the walls come tumbling down, right? There's something that happens before that. A close encounter with God that we're going to focus on tonight. It's in Joshua chapter 5. I'm extremely stoked to share this story with you. It has been getting me absolutely fired up recently. So let's take a look at what happens when Joshua has a close encounter in chapter 5. We're starting in verse 13. Would you read with me here? It'll be on the screens. When Joshua was by Jericho... He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So here we have it. Joshua. He's the new leader of the people of Israel. Here's what you need to know about the people of Israel in this time, is that Moses was their old leader. Moses was the one who God used to bring the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And there would be this huge journey where the people of God would be promised a land to dwell in. And Moses was journeying for them, with them, but now Joshua is the new leader, and here's where they're headed. They're headed to the promised land. They've been brought out of slavery. God delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And they've got their, eye, their sights set on a place for them to dwell. And leading up to this passage, the people crossed over a river 
on dry ground, the Jordan River. That's a story in and of itself that we could talk about for a while. But basically, the waters parted. They walked across on dry land. It's crazy. And now they find themselves on the plains of Jericho. So they see this city in front of them. And they're on their way past it. But in order to get where they're going, they need to get through Jericho. They need to conquer Jericho. Here's what Joshua would be thinking as he is looking at this city. He would be reminded of the time that he had been in this very place 40 years ago. Okay, so Joshua was one of 12 scouts that went to go scout out this city and, and find out information about, okay, can we conquer this city? Can we do it? Can we get past it? And can we advance to where we want to go, where God is leading us? But this is what they saw in the land 40 years ago and what would be coming up in Joshua's mind as he's on the plains of Jericho looking upon it. This is pulling from the book of Numbers. It'll be on the screens for you. However, however it says, however, the people who dwell in the land, they're strong and the cities are fortified and very large. We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So Jericho is too big of a city for them to conquer. The scouts, they were scared. They were thinking like, hey, how are we going to conquer this? How are we going to actually get to where we need to go? These would be the thoughts that, that were coming up in Joshua's mind as he's here once again 40 years later. The walls are too high. The people are too strong. How are we going to get where God said we would go? I just want you to put yourself in Joshua's shoes right now. He's in charge of thousands of people. And he sees the place that he needs to go. But it doesn't look like he's going to win. Joshua looked upon a city where the opponents were too great. All the evidence was stacking up to say we cannot win. It's the same thought that whenever a Wisconsin Badger comes over to the border of Minnesota, that's what they're thinking, right? We, we just can't win. Go Gophers. Big night tonight. Border battle. Pure Intimidation. He's got a memory of fear, and his eyes are making him think that he can't possibly take over this city. It would surely cause Joshua to doubt his own leadership and what he had, like does he have what it takes to take that next step forward. What do you do when there are obstacles in front of you that seem way too high? What do you do? When you don't know if you have what it takes to take the next step. Have you ever been promised something from God in his word? And then you see with your eyes, how am I possibly going to get there? What do you do when there's something scary in front of you and you don't know how you're going to get through it? When you have the opportunity for cowardice or for courage what is the thing that is helping you make the decision of which to choose? 
Is it based on what your eyes tell you, or is it based on the promise of God? In this scenario, we find Joshua put in that situation. What is he going to choose? Is he going to choose cowardice or courage? That's where we have ourselves. Let's read again chapter 13, uh, verse 13 so we can see what happens. It says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Okay. Now there's a guy there. Where did he come from? Who knows? Right, and what's, what's going through his head? This guy's got a sword out. Are you kidding me? Joshua knows that he's got to go battle this city, got to overtake him, and now there's a dude standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. So what's going through Joshua's mind now? Well, we can see, obviously, what was going through his mind. He's like, is he on my team or is he on their team? What's going to happen to me? This guy's got a sword in his hand. So he walks up. He challenges this guy. He's like, hey, are you for me? Or are you for them? Like, we got to sort this out right now so I know how to react in this moment. And so he brings this man to a fork in the road. Are you on my team or are you on their team? And look at what this man says. When Joshua asks him, hey, are you on my team? Are you for me or are you for my enemies? This is what the man says. No. Are you kidding me? Neither. Are you on my team or their team? No. What does he say? Verse 14, he says, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy. And so Joshua did so. This general, by saying no to Joshua's question, was telling Joshua that if you're asking if I'm on your team or on the other person's team, you're asking the wrong question. This general is saying, I'm the type of person that people are either for or against me. This man was much more than a man. Some think it might have just been an angel. Can't be. Much more than that. You see, angels will always tell people to get up. Don't worship me. Worship God. Look at this instance in Revelation 22. A man named John had an encounter with an angel, and this is what he says. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. This general that interacts with Joshua did not tell Joshua to get up. This general tells Joshua to take his worship 
a step further. He says, take off the sandals from your feet. You are in the presence of the divine. This is better than an angel. This is the incarnate God. God in flesh. Coming close to Joshua. Can you imagine? He was revealing himself to a human. God was showing who he is and foreshadowing to the reality that one day he would make himself known in human form again. But for this time, just for an encounter. What's happening right here is a preliminary manifestation of God becoming man. How do we make sense of this? Here's what the Bible teaches about God, that he is a trinity. Meaning that he's one God, but in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Son has a very special directive. He is God completely, and yet he has a special directive of revealing himself to people. God the Son is who we as humans relate to God. And so this encounter that Joshua is having is with God the Son, who has revealed himself to man. And here's the thing about all three persons of the Trinity, is that they are God and they are completely holy. Totally set apart. Totally different than humans. Totally righteous. Overflowing in glory. Beauty beyond compare. There's no wonder that the necessary next step that Joshua took, once he realized who he was talking to, was to fall on his face in worship. This is God. The one whom we relate. God the Son. And he's the creator of the universe. He's the commander of the Lord's army. He is holy. He is perfect. And he comes near. So once Joshua knew who he was talking to, he was on his face. Guys, there will be a moment when you meet Jesus, when you see who he really is, when he reveals who he is to you, that you will realize that everything you have belongs to him. That he is the general. He's the creator He's the giver. He's the provider. He's the general. And if this Jesus, the commander of the army of the Lord, shows himself to you, do you really ask him to help you out with your problems? If that's what you're bringing to him, saying, hey, are you on my side or are you on my enemy's side? then I'm not sure you know who you're talking to. If you're coming to him with stipulations for obedience, saying, hey, God, man, I'll, I'll be for you as long as, as long as you give me this. 
As long as you like affirm me and help me get to my goals and help me make sure that I get to where I want to be someday down the road, then we're good. As long as you're on my team, then we're good. Are you on my team or are you on theirs? If that's the question that you're bringing to the table, then I'm not sure you know who you're talking to. The right question is the one that follows when Joshua realizes who he's talking talking to. He says, what does my Lord say to his servant? Instead of challenging God and saying, hey, you better decide right now, are you on my team or are you on their team? Are you for me or are you against me? He realizes that he needs to make the decision. Joshua needs to make the decision. Am I for or against you? The authentic response to an encounter with the living God is worship. Jesus, command me. What do you have for me? My life is yours. Tell me where to go. I want you to just evaluate something for yourself, even right now. Where do you find yourself in this stage, in these like three stages of what Joshua has been through right now? Are you looking ahead or looking in front of you and seeing an obstacle that is too big, too high, too strong for you to get through? Or are you challenging Jesus right now and saying, hey, you need to decide if you're on my team or if you're on the other person's team. Some of you will be there. Or are you on your face bowing the knee to the general saying, all that I have is yours. Direct me. Command me. I trust you. All of us find ourselves in one of those areas. There's one more thing that I want you to see from this passage. It's back in verse 13. And it's evidence of how we can trust this general. How we can trust his command, his words, and bow the knee in obedience. Verse 13 says this, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. What is the significance of the drawn sword? Yes, it was just showing Joshua that he was ready for battle. But it was beyond that. It was foretelling, divine foretelling of what would happen, of what would, what would come. But first we need to look back to the beginning because this is not the first time that we see a sword present. This is not the first time. There's a time in Genesis where we get a view of what the sword in the hand of God means. This is from chapter 3. This is right after the fall of man when humanity had rebelled against God and God decided to drive them out of the garden. This is what it says in Genesis chapter 3. It says, God drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, 
he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. You see, once sin entered the world, when everything went wrong for the human race, when we tried to be our own generals, try to command our lives, try to be the ones that call the shots instead of God, that is sin. When that entered the world, humanity was driven out of the garden, and now there's a boundary set up between God and man. Something dividing us, making it impossible to actually have a raw encounter with God because we are kicked out of the garden. And now there's a flaming sword guarding the presence of God, guarding an entrance back into the garden. And so if anybody wants to have an encounter with God, they need to face the sword. If anybody wants to actually walk with God, have an encounter with him face-to-face, to get close to God, they've got to face the sword. And so, why did the sword of God not fall on Joshua in this instance? Was Joshua not having a face-to-face encounter with the living God? He was. And so the sword in his hand, why did it not fall on him? It's divine foretelling that one day Jesus, the general, would take the sword for Joshua. He would take the sword. It wouldn't have to fall on him. One day Jesus would come not in power as a general, but in weakness as a child. He would come not for just this encounter, but he would come for a full life, from birth to death. He would live a full life, free of sin. He wouldn't do anything wrong. Jesus would live the perfect life. And Jesus would take the sword for his people. He didn't deserve it. He was the only one that didn't deserve the sword. The only one that did have perfect relation to his God, God the Father. But he decided to take the sword for us. He would die a criminal's death on the cross, taking upon himself the punishment for sin that we all deserve. He would take it upon himself and he would experience the separation from God that he did not deserve. This was the sword. What kind of God would take a sword for undeserving people? Why would he do that? God would do this if he wants to be close to you. If God desperately wants to get nice up and close to you, he would do whatever he had to do to fall on the sword so that the boundary between him and you would be gone forever. That's what Jesus' act on the cross did. Once and for all, 
It removed the barrier between you and God so that he could come close to you. And he took upon himself the payment that was demanded that separated you from him. This is the sweetest news that I could share with you. This is the best thing I could possibly tell you right now. That Jesus has taken the sword for you so you don't need to take it. You can have an encounter with God and you don't need to be fearful. That You don't need to be fearful that you'll have to be the one to bear the sword yourself. You can have confidence and draw near. There is nothing separating you from the God of the universe. Would you come to him? Would you draw near? A beautiful reality in the Joshua story is that he got more than he deserved. Grace. This is the whole point of the gospel that God would come near to you, not because you deserve it, because he wants it for you. God made a way to come close. Through this encounter, with Joshua, the general would then proceed to give him the instructions, the very clear instructions of how he would overtake Jericho. He would tell him, all right, you need to walk, march around the city. After your final time marching around it, you'll give a big shout. The walls will come tumbling down, and you'll have the perfect advantage to overtake the city and do exactly what you need to do to get exactly what I promised you. God's instruction works. He knows what he's doing. But he also knew Joshua. And he knew that before Joshua would listen and have the courage to go forward, that he would need to draw near and remind Joshua of who he was. The general. The commander of the Lord's army. And that he was the one leading them. How are you going to deal with the things in front of you that you're afraid of? That's a big question. If you're afraid of what's in front of you, even afraid of your sin, maybe it's because you've been trying to be the general of your life. You've been the one that's saying, hey, I want to call the shots. But I can't do it. And Jesus, in love, is saying, you're right. But I can. He knows what's best for you. He's the general. And so if you want courage for how to take the next step forward, the application for you is to fall on your face and say, Jesus, command me. Direct my steps. Be the general of my life. I trust you. So my encouragement for you tonight is to get close to God. He's here. There is nothing separating you 
from him. You can engage with him right now. Get close. Take off your shoes and worship him. He's worthy of it. He's the general of the Lord's army, and he's here. Let's pray to him. Father, thank you for the reality that you want to be close to us. What a gift. It still amazes me that you would want this for people like me that have screwed up countless times, have been uninterested in you time and time again, who have rebelled against what you've told me, and yet you want to draw near to me. What a miracle. God, thank you for providing a perfect sacrifice in Jesus, that he would bear the sword in my place. God, thank you for providing hope for my future. God, thank you for the gospel that through Jesus' death and resurrection that you have purchased for me access into your grace. That forever, there's nothing that separates me from you. God, thank you that that's true and available for the people in this room. God, I pray that they would just see you for who you really are right now. Be praised in this place, God. You are the general. You are over us, higher than we are. In charge of it all, you see the battles that we are all going to face in the coming days, weeks, years, decades. And you will guide us. You will deliver us because you know what's best for us. And you're going to do it for your glory and for our joy. God, we trust you with this. Would this building, would this ministry be for your glory and for our joy? God, lead us as we enjoy this space. It's all yours. It all belongs to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.